Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Daily Grind. My name is Kelly Johnson, your fun and friendly host. We're in episode six of season four, the very best one yet. What is up, The Daily Grinders? My name is Kelly, your host. As always, we have a new segment, a new feature that we're doing on social, and we want you to be a part of it. The Daily Grind, that's the name of our podcast. What does The Daily Grind mean to you? Our simple phrase, following a certain routine every morning to start your day or on a larger scale that shapes the outlook on your life. Submit yours on our direct link form, direct.me slash dailygrindpod, or visit us on social at dailygrindpod and get featured. guests on today's podcast i'll keep the introduction short I'd like to welcome to the show matthew stibble matthew is a serial entrepreneur marketing maven writer pilot and wine enthusiast but not necessary in that order he's created marketing strategies content and campaigns for clients including microsoft google linkedin hp and contributed to wired forbes and popular science he's currently the ceo at articulate marketing a uk marketing agency specializing in the technology sector so welcome to the show matthew I'm delighted to be here. <laughs> Kelly, thank you so much for having me. And that was a very fulsome introduction. Probably I, I, the next time I hear such a good introduction, it will be at my uh, funeral. <laughs> Glad to have you on the show. Our listeners would be excited to learn more about your story, Matthew, and, and what you do on your daily grind. So yes, that's my first question to you in our conversation today. Can you briefly introduce yourself and what you do on your daily grind? I run a marketing agency called Articulate Marketing. My daily grind, I think, resembles most people's these days. I have a series of video conferences and conversations with people and Slack messages and try to bring some energy and some um, direction to the agency through those meetings. Wonderful. Yes, I'm excited to dive in, learn more about what you do day to day, uh, inspire our listeners out there. Uh, just, yeah, can you kind of maybe start with, with what you do day to day in a sense uh, at Articulate Marketing? You mentioned marketing agency specializing in the, in the technology sector. Tell us more. Sure. So, well, the agency works for B2B technology companies from very large companies like Dell Technologies and Microsoft, and our smallest client has three people. Um, the size really isn't important. What's interesting about the clients is their ambition. Um, they're, I, I, I was discussing this with a colleague the other day. On, on a very fundamental level, marketing is really about change management, is about changing uh, a company's perception of themselves or deepening their understanding of clients or understanding how they go to market and communicate with people. Our, our business um, uh, core, core uh, values are that we help clients connect, inform, and inspire, and, and how they do that. So getting people to go on that journey to connect, inform, and inspire is an interesting thing. So on a, on a sort of big philosophical level, my daily grind is, is how, do I, how do I get that to happen for our clients? 
because I have 18 people under management, it's not just how do I get that to happen for our clients, but how do I get that to happen for our clients working through and with these people and working through and with the, the client, typically marketing managers or sales managers. So it's a, it, the, the, the routine of my life is keeping an eye on the end outcome, change, results, growth, but constantly thinking, how do I get there? Because I can't do all the work for everybody. I can't do. I can't go and run my clients' businesses. I can't go and do all their marketing. I can't. So how do I get people to do it? So that st- sort of starts coming into a world of management. And of course, management in the broadest sense is where most of us spend most of our time, just sort of moving things around, communicating, coordinating, aligning, checking. But... The struggle, the goal, the ambition, the joy of my job is finding the space in the day to do the thing that's going to make a change in the way I work and the way we work as an agency. So I'll illustrate this with with an example. So when we help a client on board to HubSpot marketing automation, for example, Um, I, I might start by doing that onboarding for them and configuring their HubSpot portal. And that's delivering some work and some change and some value to the client. But the, the thing that I have to do to be uh, a better agency boss is describe that process, document that process, train, uh, enable people in the, in the agency to do it so they grow in their career, they are able to deliver some value, and then I can move on and find some other useful thing to figure out and pioneer and develop and deliver. But the, the, we're scaling our capability. So it's always this game of short versus long. You know, I can, I, can, I can do it for the client or I can figure out how to get the agency to do it for the client. And ultimately, you know, that's, that's the mission. Um, I, I, if, if you'll forgive me, I hope I'm not talking too much, but I, I remember, um, I wish I could remember who it was who said, but the, the, who said it. Um, but the, there's a, a quote about if you want people to sail the seas you can do it in two ways you can build them a ship and put them on the ship or you can inspire them with a love of the ocean (laughs) and I think the highest level of what I do and this is the thing that I find the hardest is inspiring my people with the love of the ocean right this sort of ability to innovate and create and, and and deliver from their own initiative and from their own understanding of clients so my daily grind most of my time is spent doing work for clients some of my time is spent managing and coordinating the work that we do for clients but which is delivered for other people and the most valuable and precious bit of my work is inspiring and enabling and empowering my team to do what i do so they it, it, it we can expand and grow Oh, this is great, Matthew. You really shine light in this area. And also talking about uh, leadership management, a lot of key words you mentioned so far so in our interview, you know, being able to have that effective communication, coordination, and just able to collab and help your, um, help your team grow, uh, which is really important. And what we seek for our young daily grinders out there that are looking to level up in their own personal career, whether it's in the business field or outside that field. You as a B Corp, uh, your company culture, again, really important components of that success that you have and how to create like a happy company in general. But you talked about leadership and thought leadership in particular coming from the from a tech company space. Like what's the best way for like a tech company to really demonstrate that thought leadership? 
We get this quite a lot with our clients who are quite techie. Very often, you know, businesses that we work with were founded by somebody who was a genius, geeky person, right? So they have a lot of thought <laughs> and they have a lot of ideas and they have a lot of expertise. And the, the, it's, it's the leadership bit. So the leadership of thought leadership requires communication, requires communication skills. And this is where they often fall down because they want to express themselves in a very technical manner for other technical people. So they run into the first problem um, that they've got to overcome, which is, I call it the man in the mirror or the woman in the mirror problem. Thinking that the person you are writing for, communicating to, is like you, is motivated the same way, is interested in the same way. So thought leadership has often requires this sort of intellectual exercise of understanding other people's world, the problems they face, the needs they have, and translating what you want to say into their language to talk to them about their issues in their language, if you can. So thought leadership has this kind of communication thing. You think about TED Talks, which people often hold out as an example of great communication. These people have spent years studying their special subject. They've done research and they get 15 minutes to communicate it in some way that adds value for the, for the audience. That exercise, it's not, it's not just the thought and the expertise, it's the leadership and communication. So overcoming the person in the mirror problem is the first thing. Mm -hmm. um, the second thing, and I say this as after 20 years as a professional writer, slightly assuming you can do it yourself, there is a reason that journalists are good at their job. It's not that they're experts in the subject they're covering, although sometimes they can be. It's that they're very good at drawing out and understanding what the experts have to say. So I, I remember a, a, an interview I did a long time ago for Forbes, um, where I interviewed um, Franklin Chang Diaz, who is an astronaut five times in space he's been, and a CEO of a rocket company. They make ion engines for, for propulsion in space. So he's a rocket scientist and he's an astronaut, right? I mean, like the main man has the brain the size of a planet. And I interviewed him about ion engines and going to Mars and things like that. I'm kind of geeky about space and I enjoy it, but I was writing for a general readership. Now, here's the fascinating thing about uh, Dr. Chang Diaz. He's got two PhDs. He was able to communicate to me in a way that was really perfectly understanding of what I, my limited knowledge, ability, and also for the audience. So he was describing orbital mechanics and how ion engines work in a way that I could understand and translate. And I think that was true communication skills. So I think he was a very rare example of someone who was both incredibly knowledgeable and incredibly good at communicating. Generally, I think with thought leadership, you, you have the knowledge, but you need to work with someone who can help you extract it. Someone like you, Kelly, who's actually quite good at interviewing and you know, has some curiosity and so on. That's a tremendous skill, and it's not a skill that comes lightly, and it's not something that you can assume you have just because you can write an article. I mean, everyone can write, but not everyone is a writer. That's great. A great example too. just, again, helping us broaden our audience too. as we speak. Matthew and I, like I mentioned in the intro, he's based in the UK, we're, we're based in the States. So it's always interesting to hear where, I guess, worlds collide or what's the similarities and differences. And I can tell you're definitely the marketing expert here on today's episode. And just, again, shedding light in ways that we can you know, help level up from a tech company standpoint, as well as maintain that, that smart leadership or that thought leadership to really protect propel us to the next level. Also, just talking about, uh, you know, 
being in the tech space as well, like how can a tech company differentiate itself and really stand out from the crowd? There's a huge difference, according to um, Jason Fried, who founded Basecamp. There's a huge difference between this is what our product does and this is what you can do with our product. And it comes back to the same point uh, about thought leadership. You have to put yourself into your audience or your customer's view, into, into their, in, almost into their head with an imaginative exercise to understand them so that you can say to them, we understand what you need, we understand what you want, we understand the problems you have, and we can help you. Okay. So a lot of people think, I mean, it's in, certainly in our world of, of B2B technology, um, that differentiation comes from having the best technology. We've got more gigaflops and flips and widgets than the other people. And a lot of people think that it comes from differentiating from your competitors. So a lot of tech companies spend an awful lot of time mapping and tracking what their competitors are doing, rather than thinking about how we can help our customers and what products and services matter to our customers. So a, a, a classic example of this is, is years ago, I was helping Microsoft with the positioning and messaging for Microsoft Small Business Server 2003, which will give you a clue to how long ago this was. And we had arranged um, focus groups of small business owners, because that was who was targeted with this product. And we were sitting there behind this sort of one-way mirror, looking at these business owners talking about technology in their business. And Small Business Server had all this amazing technology, it had a database and it had an email system and a calendar and it had this thing and that thing and that thing. The one thing that everybody in every focus group said was, when we had Small Business Server installed, we had all our files in one place. And remember in 2003, people didn't, you know, kept all their files on, locally on a hard drive. There was no Dropbox or anything. So we have all our files in one place and we back it up every night. And I take a little cassette tape home every night with me that's got all my files. And so I feel I can sleep nights. That's safe. I've got my data set stored in one place and backed up mm -hmm. properly. And it was like, this is the smallest feature of Small Business Server 2003, but it was the most important thing for these, these business owners was peace of mind. That's what they wanted to buy. So we changed a lot of the messaging around to just, you know, around that and some other things to do with convenience and collaboration. So differentiation, start with your customers and deeply understand and validate their needs and their goals and talk to them about their their goals and their needs in their language and tell them how you can help. Um, differentiating on technology, differentiating on features is really only a small part of the story. Yeah, really well said, Matthew. Again, shedding light in this area in the importance of being organized and just uh, being able to do your day-to-day -day job effectively and efficiently. Um, but transitioning more to, I guess, with your uh, B Corp, articulate marketing uh, i love too that you guys do a uh, tech tip tuesday so we can it's literally a double header since our episodes drop on tuesdays but again you're able to help us you know learn from um from a remote or a virtual setting uh, via online presence but also that kind of leads me or perfect transition into that remote work uh, and just being able to be effectively uh, communicate and work with your team. I know you're a really great expert or maybe you can shed some light or some uh, best, practice, best practices in regards to uh, remote working tips and just being able to change attitudes and working through that medium. 
Sure. Well, we've been remote working for a long time at Articulate. We, we never had an office, and that's almost 20 years now. Um, so we did it before it was fashionable. And, um, you know, I think most, most companies going through the pandemic and coming to remote working the first time, they were sort of at level one of remote working. So we've got Slack, we've got Google Meet, you know, we've got Teams, um, whatever. So video conferencing and real-time communication. Great, you've got the tools. But then there's sort of level two of remote working, which I think most, most companies now who are doing it have reached that because of, of necessity over the last couple of years, which is where you start to trust people to manage their own time. You start to let them get on with their own work. You start to um, measure outputs rather than inputs, you know, at work completed rather than hours. But I think there's a level three that we all need to aspire to. And it's an, it's an aspiration for us, too. I don't think we're perfect in this. But I think that involves empowering people in a, we call it a leader-leader model. So following the, the, the idea in David Marquet's book, um, Turn the Ship Around. If anyone wants to know what leader-leader is, that Turn the Ship Around is an amazing book. And he's done um, TED Talks and things about it as well. So a leader-leader model where you're empowering and enabling people to participate and collaborate in the, in the evolution and direction of the business, one. Two, uh, very, very ambitiously supporting learning and development so that people can really build their careers and they have resources and time. So an example of that at Articulate, we have a time-off system where you can book holidays. Uh, and two years ago, we changed it so they can also book training days. So they are in control of their, their training days, and we are committed to one training day per month per person. So they, they can book it in, in, in the system like a holiday day, and with the same level of you don't disturb people on holiday. You don't disturb people when they've booked a training day. That's not the, the maximum amount of training we want people to do. It's a minimum. Okay. So training, learning, and development and support. Um, and the third thing um, is around culture. And culture is really hard. It's like the hardest thing in leadership. It just because you you get to nudge it, but you are you you kind of have a culture that emerges out of the way you run the business and how people observe you behave and what you do. So we try we're trying very hard to um, set cultural signals and markers for the company. For example, we have a chief happiness officer who's very involved in kind of giving people building community and collaboration and teamwork kind of outside the work space. So happy half hours and we call them poddles, but they're really little online chats and sharing things and arranging in-person events and meetings. We, we've spent a lot of time and effort on our culture guide and documentation, but we're spending even more time trying to embed it into the business and embed it into the business plans and make, making it real and making it sort of a, an everyday lived experience. And just kind of just keep nudging at that, keep working at that so that you get to set in a sort of aspirational thing. And the last thing I think, which is very important for us, and it's related to culture, is this B Corp piece where we are, um, and B Corp and also investors in people, where we're using externally audited third party standards to validate what we do to validate it to us that we are setting high standards for training, development, employee engagement, leadership, management, corporate social responsibility, environmental impact, and all of these things that are 
necessary parts of running a business well, running a good business in every sense. Um, but they also help to reinforce what you value to the, the, to the to your colleagues, to the employees, to the staff, by saying, you know, the, we meet these standards. These standards are important to us. We put effort into meeting them. We are externally validated for meeting them. Yeah. I, I could go on. I'm, 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 a, I'm a big champion of B Corp, and I think it's been really, really valuable for the business and for the culture. Definitely. Yes. I was just going to ask Matthew, perfect transition. You read my mind in regards to talking more on the B Corp side. But before we go a little bit more further into that in depth, but just going back to the point on having that healthy uh, company culture uh, from that remote work setting having uh, your chief happiness uh, officer in place at Articulate uh, to help. I mean, studies have shown or research has shown increase in productivity uh, in regards to, you know, having these resources and um, having a focus uh, within your organization. But yes, can you tell us more, I guess, on on the B Corp side with your company, uh, just being able to have that ethical business standard and that certification for our listeners that are tuning today's episode that are not too familiar with this area. Sure. And I'd love to talk a little bit more about Liz and the chief happiness officer as well, but maybe we can come back to that. So what is a B Corp? A B Corp is a business that has signed up to meet uh, and this, this, externally defined objective standard for environment, community and society and employees, uh, for making business a force for good. This is the phrase, business as a force for good. So there are some well-known companies that are B Corps, uh, for example, um, Ben and Jerry ice cream, right? So every time you're eating a, a Ben and Jerry ice cream, you're doing good for the planet. And um, Patagonia, the clothing manufacturer, and many others, our bank is a B Corp. So it doesn't mean charity. It doesn't mean, the, you know, we're not a business. No, we're here to make money. We're here, you know, we're, we're ambitious and we want to grow and we want to be profitable. Some B Corps are a little bit more, uh, they have a little bit more social purpose, but they're all commercial. So, um, and to become a B Corp, you do a self-audit against it's something like 80, 90 questions, and you answer that. And you, so you can go and sign up and do the uh, B Corp Impact Assessment today as a business and just see where you are and see what you need to do. Um, so that first stage is just seeing where you are and getting a baseline. And we did this in 2018, um, and we got a score of 30. So in order to become an, a certified B Corp, you need a score, I think it's over 70, might might be different today but when we did it it was 70. Mm-hmm. so the first thing we had to do was improve right so we had to put in a recycling policy and we had to Im- embed b corp values in our corporate charter and we had to you know and there was a series of things to start improving the score so at first it becomes a yardstick and a guide and a roadmap to becoming a better business, becoming more ethical, becoming more responsive and responsible for your employees and for the environment and so on. Mm -hmm. So when you get to 70 or whatever the current threshold is, you then go off to B Corp and you say, we're ready to become a B Corp and they come and audit you. 
and it's pretty rigorous. <laughs> the last time we, we recertified um, last year, and it was it took about a week for me, our CFO, and for Liz, our chief happiness officer, and for our accountant, just to go through and answer all the questions and produce all the validation and the documentation they needed. So you then get this certification, which means you can then tell people, we have met this standard. And you get listed on their directory and you get benchmarked against other B Corps and other businesses. So this also then allows you to humble brag about how good you are, but it, it, it allows you to va validate and verify internally to your staff and externally to, to customers and to, to, to suppliers. So, for example, we recently signed up a, a, a multinational um, consultancy business as a client. And they, they sent us this you know, really long questionnaire because they want to be a good ethical business. And so, you know, they want to make sure their suppliers are ethical. And we just said, CRB Corp assessment, CRB Corp assessment, CRB Corp assessment. You know, do you have a recycling? So, yeah. We just aren't everything. And it took about 10 minutes to complete this, this onboarding checklist, which probably would have taken us a week otherwise. And they were like, yeah. Great, fantastic. This is this is the kind of company we want to work with. So it, it, it has a, a real value for that. And I can certainly say we've won a couple of clients specifically because we were a B Corp. They were either becoming or were B Corps and wanted to work with suppliers that met that standard. So it has all kinds of, um, apart from making you feel better about yourself and your business, it has all kinds of val value for marketing, for employee engagement, for uh, supply chain uh, issues. This is great, Matthew, again, just sharing your commitment as a B Corp to really learn and work to fulfill that vision of uh, inclusivity, ac equitable, being equitable and regenerative uh, economy in general. Um, yeah, so we're, we're excited here. We'll be virtually following you along in regards to Articulate and its journey overall. But I guess, yeah, let's go back to the, the happiness, the, the company culture here. Cause, uh, I think, again, th these definitely connect together as uh, being a B Corp, as well as having that healthy environment uh, from a m remote working uh, space. So can you maybe tell us more, give us maybe if you would like to share some examples of uh, with uh, your your company or even some of your clients in regards to how they can you know increase productivity or be able to work harder, but also have that connect. Uh, that connection within, I think, is really important. Yes. So happiness. Let let me just say what I don't, what I think it is not in our context, because you know it's easy to say everyone should be happy and you should have a smiley happy face and you shouldn't, you know, acknowledge negativity or problems and what. No, it's not about that. We're not trying to make everyone into a sort of happy clappy cult. Um, when we talk about happiness at Articulate, we 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 think about a Greek word, eudaimonia, which means a sort of flourishing spirit. Um, we don't say that very often because everyone thinks you're mad or, you know, showing off, you know, a Greek word. It's the only Greek word I know, by the way. You know, so, But what it means is, is how do you allow people, humans, to flourish and grow and uh, You've mentioned productivity a couple of times in your questions, and yes, how do you help them to become more productive and to grow in their career? But it's a little bit more than that. So the idea of Chief Happiness Officer came actually, uh, crikey, five or six years ago now when I was talking to Liz, who is our Chief Happiness Officer. We were a remote working company back then, and we were talking about this idea of eudaimonia and flourishing and growth and training and development and career development. 
um, and we were remote working. Um, the, 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 the challenge we had then, as we have now, is hiring relatively young people who work from home. They don't get the social life and the kind of community and the kind of hinterland, the life outside work, when they don't go, they don't see their colleagues outside work. So years ago, I used to run a computer games company, and we had an office and a trade traditional sort of business and most of them used to go to the pub a couple of times a week and chat and they used to play sports together and there was a, a community well you can't do that if you're remote working so my thought was how do we replicate that and Liz who at that time was my personal assistant came up with a series of ideas and organized some company meetings and events and activities and I said and it wasn't intended as a joke but it was intended as a compliment Liz you are our chief happiness officer, because she was trying to give people this community, this interland, this, this social thing that existed outside work but was related to work, but doing it remotely. So, um, and, and the phrase stuck. <laughs> About six, 12 months later, the opportunity came up for her to actually move into that role and make that her full working activity and she stopped being my PA and she started being our chief happiness officer. So what did it what does what does she do now? She organizes company events when we're allowed to meet in person and there aren't lockdowns. We get together regularly. She organizes virtual events. She organizes also um she's responsible for all the B Corp. So all that sort of community and social responsibility is in her wheelhouse. She also provides a great deal of pastoral care for people, like just, you know, if you're, you know, not all our staff, but a lot of our staff quite relatively young, this is their first or second job, and they're dealing with being in the grown-up world for the first time. They're renting houses or, you know, moving in together or something like that. And she's got some experience and wisdom to share and that, that sort of thing. So it, there's, it's, uh, it's not an HR job. It, we have an HR company that helps us with the legal and compliance things we have our cfo wears an hr hat as well it's really about making sure that people are able to bring bring them their best selves to work and they're relaxed and happy and engaged and so one of the things i'll give you one more little thought uh, a tip or suggestion one of the things that we have done as part of this is we give everybody their own happiness account, their own happiness budget. And it's not to spend on, I don't know, beer and cigarettes or whatever you might think would make people happy. It's, it's there to spend on things that would make their working lives better. So if they want to go on an unusual training course or if they want to get a, you know, a more ergonomic chair or, or they want to you know, subscribe to a magazine or some, something that you know, has some, some relationship to their work but isn't necessarily something we would provide to everybody automatically and it's 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 not a it's not a trivial amount of money and she helps to administer that as well so i, th I think if you, if you if you if you can demonstrate by these sorts of uh decisions and activities having a chief happiness office having a happiness account dedicating training days that as a company you are committed to the growth development happiness and success of your employees rates the results the productivity the loyalty the engagement this is great matthew uh, yep i could agree too uh, at least from the podcasting side uh, us building up our team as well you mentioned just having those specific uh, characters and personalities and traits to help you uh, be successful and you know 
work from day to day and uh, in all aspects of the business. And I think that's really important in terms of modern management and that whole um, that whole realm, but just in general too of, of managing remote workers or just even uh, being able to hit those KPI targets or whatever the productivity or even um, from a you know net per score a net promoter score standpoint as well, you know, coming from the happiness work culture, a lot of different pieces uh, fit together in order to create this, this puzzle at hand. Uh, but one last touch point, Geek Boss, your, your, your blog, you have a lot of other extra, extracurriculars or just, I, I feel like you, you bring so much to the table and I think you're able to pull from uh, past um, experiences as well you do currently uh, to really help grow your business, move the needle too in terms of different clients that you work with. So yeah, touch a little bit more on on, on Geek Boss for us here. Well, as you can tell from this conversation, I, I, I'm pretty hard on myself as a manager. <laughs> I you know, desperately want to work out how to do it better. And Geek Boss is the way, as a writer, I, 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 I think in writing. So geekboss.com is, is a place where I write about trying to be a better manager um, and trying to think about how to improve and kind of what I've learned along the way. And I think, I think it sort of represents a journey for myself and perhaps reflects a more broad journey in, in management thinking. Away from the idea that employees are interchangeable units of production and towards the idea that we treat them as as people in the round that you know we have to respect and empower and engage in their, their talents and let them bring their full self to work and indeed as a manager you also have to do that and yet you also have to do it in a skillful way and, and, and thoughtful way and, and keep learning. I think probably the biggest thing about being a better manager is to keep learning. So I'm trying to share what I learned with geekboss.com. Mm -hmm. that's, that's great. Again, sharing your wealth of knowledge on today's episode, even here, Matthew. Um, again, uh, really great credentials. Uh, backstory, we'll put where to find Matthew and his his story and just learn from him, continuously learn even outside of today's episode. Uh, also, I want to touch on some of the other uh, unique um, unique stats that we've our, our team has come across in regards to you are also have your commercial pilot license, advanced wine diploma. Tell us a little bit more. Give us a little bit of a teaser here. Oh, well, you, you definitely can't combine those two hobbies <laughs> at the same time, right? Drinking wine and flying a plane do not mix well. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so I, 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 when I sold, well, actually I started flying just before I sold my games company in 1999 and like a lot of pilots got very badly addicted uh, to aviation. And so over the course of about 10 years, I did a series of, of qualifications. Ultimately I got my commercial pilot's license. So I have an American pilot's license and a European one. Um, and an instrument rating on both of them. So I absolutely love that. For me, flying has always been very meditative in a sense that you are completely absorbed in the thing that you're doing. And it, it is a way of stopping thinking about all the day-to-day -day work problems and think about, you know, well, flying, navigating, communicating, not crashing. Um, so that, that's the flying stuff. And I strongly recommend to anybody who's running a business or trying, you know, work it. I mean, I strongly recommend to everyone. If you can and you're interested, learn to fly. But whatever you do, have a hobby. 
right? Have some life outside work, have some interest outside. I think that's really, really, really critical. And, and I, I think in my life, I've learned so much and I've gained so much from the things I've done outside work and I've been able to bring into work. Um, so a lot, for example, and this is a trivial one, but just to pick flying, um, we're, I'm a big fan of checklists. You know, pilots love their checklists and we have checklists for everything. So I'm trying to bring ch the checklist mentality into, into Articulate. And I think that's very helpful it, with, with the goal of reducing the number of mistakes or unforced errors. Um, another thing we try and do, when I was learning to fly, I had a really, really good instructor who would allow me to make mistakes. No, I mean, not critical ones. I mean, he wouldn't let me crash the plane or something. Well, I wouldn't be here if he did. But he would let me go into the error a little bit, like drift off course or be at the wrong speed or altitude or, you know, make a mistake on the radio or something. And afterwards, he would say, well, what do you think happened there? So it, it, he would he would let me learn from my mistakes. Instead of sort of slapping me, go, you, you, you bust your altitude, you went to the wrong, wrong setting or something. And, and that's an amazing skill to have. It's an amazing way to teach people, is to let them learn. So I've tried to bring that into the company with the idea of roundtables. So we, you know, when we get to the end of a project or when something goes wrong, we have the idea of a just culture, meaning we're not trying to find blame, we're trying to find why something happened to stop it happening again. So that's, you know, aviation works for me as a, as a thing to learn as well as a thing to help me relax. The wine thing is mostly about relaxation, but it, it, it's actually how I met my wife. Uh, well, not how I met my wife, but how we developed our relationship. I think our second date was a wine tasting course. So over the course of four years, we just did more and more wine tasting exams and more and more uh, wine studies. And when we got married, we had our honeymoon in Champagne and Burgundy. So that's that symbolizes how that relationship worked. We got to the point where we went to wineries for our wedding. Um, I don't know, did I learn anything about business from wine? Hmm. Well, i tell you one thing, there's no shortage of champagne uh, in the world and yet they charge a premium price. And there is a lesson about marketing. It's not expensive because there isn't much of it. It's expensive because they got the marketing right. Very valid points here, Matthew. I do not have my, my commercial pilot license, but I do consume uh, wine. Having those, having those balances, though, is so important, though, in regards to, to perform exceptionally well at your day-to-day, -day, as well as uh, have, that, have that creative mindset, uh, contribute to marking other cross-functional projects. The list could go on and on how stuff actually you know, connects within. And we always preach on the pod here, too, having that balance is so important uh, from a physical, mental, emotional a standpoint in general, all in all. So hitting on really key touch points here. But uh, before we kind of wrap up more into our closing section, I want to touch on our, our key question here on the podcast. We are the Daily Grind podcast. That's the name of our, our show. What does the Daily Grind mean to you? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, we've, we've got to talk about coffee, right? Yeah. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I... I'm going to admit to you something. I am a relative latecomer to the world of coffee. About eight years ago, I got my first coffee machine. Before that, like most English people, uh, I was a tea drinker. So coffee. Um, it was about the same time as um, I met my now wife and we started doing wine stuff. So maybe coffee and wine go together. Um, so my daily grind, I have a um, Miele coffee machine that you know takes bean to cup coffee machine. 
And I use coffee beans from a company in London called Monmouth Coffee. Um, and so named because the, the, the first shop is in Monmouth Street, which was is in rather a Gigi part of London. But it used to be, I'm a historian by training, so it used to be in a very, very divey part of London. It's very, so it's, it, it's historically interesting. And in my view, they make the best coffee anywhere uh, that I've had. So I get these sort of very recherche coffee beans from, you know, an Ethiopian producer or uh, some, somebody in uh, uh, Brazil. And they, they come through um, uh, Monmouth Coffee and I order a, a box of six bags and then I work my way through them. So my daily grind is is a double espresso shot in the morning for breakfast and then one sort of mid-morning. Um, and as you can tell by, it's now 10 to 4 in the afternoon. I, you know, I've still got a nice coffee buzz going. It's, it's worked pretty well for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that's great to hear. Again, uh, Coffee Feels the Grind on, on the podcast. And uh, again, really good uh, compliment to what we're doing throughout the day the, to keep us focused and productive and hit on all the touch points here. But yeah, in closing, Matthew, we talked about your daily schedule. You have quite the grind going on at Articulate Marketing. What do you have on your daily grind you know, later this year? What's on the, What's on the radar? We are working really hard at the moment on the way that um, there are lots of things going on in the business and business planning but the thing that's really really focused for me is the way that we run projects internally so I'm not talking about how we do projects for clients or although that's important too but how we allocate our internal resources to change grow improve the agency um, as we get bigger, we can't just sort of muscle our way through that stuff or randomly do it. So there's a little bit of a, a process that we're developing now around, um, and it's rather rather grandiosely called project management office, but it's just in, introducing a consistent way for everything that we do in, you know, internally. So it, 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 it's, it's a one-page project management template and checklist, because I like checklists, and then it's a notion uh, little database kanban board of all the projects that we're running in in the agency who is running them who is responsible what their status is um so that at any moment whatever team we're in or whatever meeting we're in we can see you know this meeting is focused on these issues these projects these initiatives and then we can run through them and i'm i'm using that as a mechanism i hope to empower the people to run their own projects and exercise their initiative and you you know to run this leader leader model but at the same time do it in a, a way that is managed consistently and run consistently and the meetings take the same sort of format so we don't have to rethink all of that every time so we can be both creative when we need to be but also consistently execu- excellent in the way we execute these projects ask me in a year's time if that worked we're just three months into it but I, th- I think it's really really critical because I think if you can teach people how to run projects you can teach them how to use their initiative how to get things done how to organize how to collaborate with people so it, it, it it's effectively the the training the mechanism the process of of doing that so that it's not all running through my brain and I am not the valve as the founder of the business for every decision and every initiative and every action that happens it's a way of pushing that responsibility but also that power that capability that experience down um 
yeah, there's a lot going on in the agency, but I think that's the one bet that I can't afford to lose this year. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great to hear, Matthew. Again, you're working hard day to day as well as, again, best is yet to come. We wish you all the best with uh, you and Articulate Marking here from the Daily Grind Afar. Uh, so we'll be following uh, remotely. Matthew, inspirational story. Uh, do you have a word of the day to motivate our listeners out there or even a, a quote or a saying? <laughs> okay. Um, I, I quite liked, I think it was uh, President Kennedy quoting Aristotle. So there you go. I've got the historical reference and the philosophical reference in there. Uh, we've talked a lot about chief happiness officers and happiness and eudaimonia. And I like this quote. He said, the definition of happiness is deploying your full force along lines of excellence. And I think that's uh, uh, that appeals to me very much. I, it, it's, it's, it's being fully deployed as a human being in something that matters and something that's important and something that you do well. Um, it's a lofty ambition. I'm not sure we all achieve it, but deploying your full force along the lines of excellence, that's what I aspire to. Mm-hmm. That's, that's great, Matthew. I think it fits perfectly today's episode, your story, what encompasses what we're looking to do here out in the world um, for our daily grinders out there tuning in today's episode and, and motivating them on achieving their own goals uh, and uh, contributing to their company accordingly. Uh, last but not least, if our listeners have questions, comments, want to get in touch with you, want to learn more about articulate marketing, how can they do so? Yes, um, please do. Um, I am at geekboss.com. I am at articulatemarketing.com. Um, they have contact pages. But if you want to book up a little chat with me, I'd love to hear from you. Um, articulatemarketing.com forward slash meet, M-E-E-T. That's my online calendar. You can book book up a chat. If, and if you're in London, come on over. I'll, 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 I'll put the kettle on. Definitely. We'll put in today's show notes where to find Matthew, how to get in touch with them and follow their story, learn more, continuously learn here, uh, even outside the podcast. So uh, thanks again for tuning today's episode. A big thank you to Matthew for being on the podcast. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Kelly. Thanks for tuning into the Daily Grind this week. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcast. If you want to follow us on Twitter or Instagram, we are at Daily Grind Pod. Please also remember to visit our website, www.kjfwi.org, and shop our merch. Wonderful. Until next time, my name is Kelly Johnson. Have a great day. This episode was produced by the Kelly Johnson Foundation with music composed by Connor Christian. 